right. All right, thank you, quartet, uh, in August trio group. <laughs> Amen. Well, children, you all can be dismissed. Uh, tonight there is a children's program. Uh, my son Jeremiah, I had to take my jacket off, and I had to get my uh, earpiece on, and um, I went in the back, and I come up front, and he put my jacket on, and I said, if you wear the jacket, you've got to preach the word. So <laughs> so he did He did take it off pretty quick. Um, I guess I got to train him better, <laughs> but uh, he did, uh, he looked a little nervous about something like that, but it's good to train our kids young, isn't it? Um, we had our, I brought uh, my two boys and Katie and then Noah out to the work day yesterday, and so I knew there was some work they could do, just pick up this black top and throw it in the, wherever they need to throw it, and uh, of course they had a lot of fun. Children have fun, don't they? They just, they they can, they can make more work too, but they can uh, they make it fun too, and uh, you got to be careful where they're throwing that stuff too. But anyways, I, I'm hoping that my kids have good memories of all this, you know, and they think, boy, that was that area. There used to be blacktop, and I and I got to get rid of that. And then underneath the building, they helped put down all the black plastic. And Chase uh, was down there, and Parker. Or I think well, I'm not sure if Parker was, but. They got to go underneath and, and put down all this black plastic to keep the moisture from going up. And, and you know, those are things they'll remember. They, they thought it was a pretty cool hiding place, too. So maybe that wasn't a good thing to show them all the access points. But um, if you're ever looking for your children, just go under the building, okay? <laughs> but anyways, it, it's really exciting to see what God's doing over there. Um, it, a lot of things are coming into play. There's still a lot of... Things still working together, but boy, to see those doors going on, to see those fixtures going up, um, it, it's really exciting. It really is. It's kind of like we are we are coming to the end, folks. It's it's been a, it's been a long journey. It seems like, and I'm not trying to complain. I'm just saying it is, but it's not 40 years, okay? <laughs> um, at least not yet. <laughs> it's an adventurous journey, that's for sure. And so we praise the Lord. But let's. Not miss the blessings along the way. Pastor, great message this morning, too. Thank you for that. I, I'm looking forward to tonight. And, and if you would, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Um, that's where we've been uh, several weeks ago on Sunday nights. We've had a lot of different things going on, Mother's Day and uh, re- revival and all that. But I want to continue the series through the, the churches, uh, the letters to the churches in Asia Minor. Um, and this is not always easy to preach through. I'll tell you that one. It takes a lot of study, a lot of thinking through how does this apply to us. And, and so I've asked God to help tonight in that way. Um, and uh, we looked at Ephesus. Really, the idea there was when love grows cold, when you've not lost your first love, but when you've left your first love. And uh, rekindling that fire for the Lord, um, the... Uh, Smyrna, the letter to Smyrna, really was the idea of the the persecution and the suffering. There was nothing, everything was commendable to them. There was nothing that God brought out, the Lord Jesus, that they needed to work on. They just really needed that comfort, that encouragement. Preached a message on turning your cross into a crown. And uh, we need that. But this evening, I want to preach a message entitled, Holding Fast the Faith. Holding Fast the Faith. And... um, a lot of your Bibles will probably have over uh, the church of Pergamos or Pergamum, depending on what translation you're using, the compromising church. 
It's interesting, though. There's a lot of, as we'll read through this, there's a lot of interesting things. They're commended. It's a tough, tough spot where they're at. And uh, they have held the truth. And, and you'll see that they've held uh, fast the name of the Lord Jesus. But they have some issues. And so I hope to be an encouragement tonight. Um, just to start off, Hebrews 4.14 says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll read through this passage. Father in heaven, I pray this evening that you, Lord, though these are, these are words written many, many years ago to a church that is no longer around, to even a city that all there is is, is artifacts. Lord, I pray that the truths of this, the word of God, this letter, Lord, would just impact us, Lord, that you'd help us to think about the truth, the faith that we possess, that we have, the faith that others have, have who have went on before us have been faithful to, some even to the point of being martyred for their faith. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd stir us up tonight to rekindle that fire for you, to rekindle that faithfulness for you, Lord, and to hold fast to the faith. Uh, Lord, I pray that you do work in our hearts this evening. We love you now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 2, we'll start in verse 12. 2 verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Wow. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. And will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Wow, there is, there is as we read through this, there is a lot of things in this portion, isn't there? Can you imagine having a church where it's literally called the throne of Satan, where Satan dwells? We know that Satan, he, can't, he can only be in one place at one time, although he does have his... His demons, the fallen angels are in many places and they can communicate and there's a lot of things going on that we can't see. But can you imagine a church being started and in being in a place where it's called the dwelling place of Satan? Wow. Yeah, 
Eugene, I can, I can think of a few areas we'll talk about where it seems that way. I don't think there's anywhere, though, that's easy. I, I don't. I mean, there's places that are more enjoyable to be, that's for sure. But the gospel, in, in sharing the gospel, it's always can come across offensive because you tell people that they're sinners. They're in need of a savior. You don't have, you don't possess what you need to get to heaven. You've got to humble yourself and accept Christ. And so, boy, just a lot of things. And there's these things, the, the doctrine of Balaam and there's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And, and what does all that mean? Well, I tried to study that all out. But there's, there's a lot of things in here. What is this hidden manna? What is this white stone? How about this new name? What it, what is that? You know, there's there's a lot in here, and I, I seriously tried to study this out, but I, I hope that we can we can glean some truth this evening. And uh, tonight, I, I want us just to focus on how he does commend them there for holding fast to the name, to Jesus's name, to the character and who Jesus is. They they did not deny the faith. This idea of holding fast, it literally means, the idea of it means to grasp something. It means to hold on to something and not to let it go. I think of Samson in the Bible where he took the jawbone of a donkey and battled all those Philistines. He held on to that thing. When I worked in the meat room at Bob Jones for four years, um, did a lot of cleaning there, but cut a lot of meat. And when you cut a lot of meat, um, your, your hand, literally, your hand gets very strong. And by the time you're done in the day, your hand, you just you feel your hand kind of, you know, you know what I mean, where you've been using something the whole time. But it's it's holding on. It's it's was grasping that. And what we're to grasp onto, what we're to hold on to, and not to let go is our faith. It would show. It would say. It would. Sh- we can uh, infer from this the idea that it would be easy to let it slip, or as the book of Hebrews says to drift away from our profession. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I truly believe if you are truly saved, you're in God's hands and he holds you and, and you'll never want to leave that. But what I am talking about is where your heart grows cold. And this is the term we use where you apostatize, where you turn away, where you, you, you go away from the truths of God's word. And we know people that have apostatized. We know people, there are people today that that would, would not even claim the things of God. Okay, and I don't believe they truly were saved as we talk about what, over, what an overcomer is. But they've truly forsaken the truths of God's word. And so as we look through this this evening, I want us just to see some, some reasons to hold fast. Some reasons to just hold the Lord Jesus up, to exalt him in our lives, to hold the truths of God's word as, as truth. And in the faith to keep dear to our heart. And uh, it's good to have these revival services, right? And as Pastor said, it doesn't mean true revival. But it's good to be stirred up, to, to come to church on various different times and hear the Word of God preached and kind of get out of our comfort zones and the normal things. And, and uh, you know, I praise the Lord for the Sunday night crowd that comes that I believe truly wants these things. Um, we pray for more to, to catch that and to hold fast. But this... Um, Evening, I want to give you five reasons, but let me give you a little bit of background information about this town, Pergamus. Pergamus was about 60 miles north of Smyrna. Smyrna was a beautiful town. It was right on um, the ocean there. It was kind of a trade area. Um, a lot of different temples were there. Um, this, this city, though, is about um, 20 miles 
uh, uh, inland. So it's inland, and it was built up, uh, up about a thousand feet up in the air. It had kind of a plateau area, and so when you were coming far away, you were really literally coming up to this town. A thousand feet up, we know the, the, uh, the, the hills, the south hills over here, what are they, about 800 feet up, and uh, we're, we're about just under 400 feet. So imagine, uh, really two and a half times higher than these south hills over there, okay? So it's, it's built up. It's a city on a hill, if you want to say it that way. It's not, a, not in a good way in that way, but uh, this city, this city was, was built up. It really served as the capital of that Roman providence of Asia Minor for 250 years. So it was, a, it was an important city for, for Rome, and uh, a, a lot of uh, things would go on there. It also was a place where parchment began. In fact, Pergamus, uh, part of that word is where we get the word for, for parchment. I didn't study that fully out, but the idea was there was a library in that town, and uh, the other famous library, the largest library, was in Alexandria, and they used what for their books? They used parchment, and so they got word, and they had some issues there. The the um, story goes that Pergamus tried to take the, the head librarian from Alexander to their town, and they got upset, so they said, you can't have any parchment paper. <laughs> And so what did they do? They, they, or you can't have any papyrus. So they made their own parchment. Very interesting. So it shows it was an intellectual place too. A lot of books, a lot of studies, a lot of different things going on there. Um, but it was a place, as we'll see here, that's called Satan's Seat. And so interesting things about the city, but this church is located right here. One of the churches uh, that has this letter. And so tonight I want to give you five reasons to hold fast to the faith. The first one is this. I want us to hold fast to our faith in light of God's watchful eye over you. God's watchful eye over you. You know, it's something we forget at times is that God sees all, he knows all. It's so easy at times to think we're such a small group. Uh, we're, we're a small you know, church or maybe in our job, I'm the only Christian. Or we just get our eyes off the fact and forget that God's all knowing. He's right there. It says here in this passage, I know thy works. You see, God had not forgotten about them. God cared for them. God cares for you. He knows everything that goes on in your life. And he cares. And just because you may not see always the evidence, and just because you're not the majority, in fact, you're the minority, and maybe sometimes at lo- alone, in your walk with the Lord, but there's not many good friends, or especially in the work setting and school setting, uh, in your neighborhood, wherever it might be, God knows. So in light of just the fact that God has a watchful eye over you, he cares for you, he knows all these things. He's, he says, I know thy works. That's kind of a real quick one. But the second, the reason to hold fast to the faith is this. We need to realize that there's always going to be satanic opposition. You just mark it up. If you want to live for God, if you want to know God, if you want to stand, if you want to serve him, there's going to be opposition. So the idea is really in spite of opposition, satanic opposition, hold fast. In Sunday school, and, and most of you have heard this now, with the church at Thessalonica, it was started in persecution. They understood that. And Paul constantly reminds them of Jesus coming, reminds them of all these things, but they, they shine brightly through that. 
Paul even says, I, I was oppressed. Satan hindered me from coming. And he hindered him from going to Asia Minor. You just, you just got to expect opposition. Now, the opposition here, it's literally called the throne of Satan. Wow. Uh, Satan's seat, it says here. Some translations say Satan's throne. And it says at the end of verse 13, where Satan dwelleth. This word of throne here is not like a kingly throne, as I've studied. It's the idea of a, of a place setting in a, in a home where there's a chair that might be the main chair where the head of the table sits. So this literally is the idea that this is the, this is the home of Satan. There's a lot of satanic oppression, a lot of satanic opposition here in this city. What are some of the reasons why? Well, we don't see a lot in this passage, um, but here's, here's some reasons probably why it was considered Satan's uh, throne or Satan's seat. It was the headquarters of satanic opposition in a, in a Gentile base for false religions. It was an important, I say important, important to them, not to us, an important religious center for pagan cults. There was the cult of Athena. The other one, and I'm not sure if I can say this right, but it's Asclepius. Asclepius. Do you know that one? Okay, some of you do. Good. <laughs> this is the one where, where if I told you, you, you see this very often. This is the this is the god of medicine or the god of healing. This is the one Bobby's got it where the staff with the snakes intertwined around it. This that is the symbol of this god. In this town there was a hospital and there was a temple to this god. In fact, people would come from all around just just coming to get their illnesses healed or or things to help. Although what's very interesting is they didn't want to take any patients that they knew were going to die. They didn't, want, they didn't want that stigma. They wanted patients that lived, that went through issues. Um, but one of the ways that they tried to help cure these people is to set them out. This sounds crazy to me. But to set them out and, and make a bed for them. And there was snakes in that room, that would non-venomous snakes that would crawl over them and slither around them. And then they would ask them what kind of dreams they had the next day. I'll tell you this, I don't think I was dreaming. If anything, it was nightmares, okay? Um, I, I, yeah. Don't you think you'd want to get out of a hospital like that? <laughs> I'm not sure how they got any patience, tell you the truth. But, but that, and, you know, and, and we think of Satan and, and being the serpent and things. But it was, it was really just a, a lot of um, horrible things taking place there. And isn't it interesting, that symbol is still used today. You, you look at any of the, the fire trucks, I saw one the other day, or the ambulances, they have that symbol on there. And so uh, very interesting, but also it had the temple uh, to Zeus. Zeus was the main god. Um, in fact, they just expected people to worship Zeus. You might have other gods, but you need to worship this one. They had this, this uh, I can't remember what kind of metal, but there was this big bowl up top. And they would make sacrifices and, and uh, they would burn things um, with this bowl, and they and they would even make human sacrifices to the god of Zeus. Horrible things, and they would get this bowl red hot, and people were right there with this bowl, and very, very wicked and sad and, and horrible. But also, one of the main things they're known for is this was the the first city to build a temple to Caesar Augustus. Remember Caesar Augustus? He was the one during the time of Christ, and so. Very much in Rome by this time, they were they were worshiping the Caesars as gods. 
As I've said before, they, they, all they wanted is they wanted, if you were a citizen of Rome or you in this province, you were expected to place incense on the fire and to say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And so if you didn't do that, you weren't part of the guilds. People would not look to you to work for them. You would not get jobs to work. I mean, it was, it was a lot of pressure to give into this and to give into this type of uh, Caesar worship. And so it was, it was considered Satan's throne. Uh, it was a horrible place uh, to be. And this is where this church is at. Isn't, isn't it neat to see that there's a church there, though? I mean, a light that God would still put that church, plant that church right in the midst of Satan's home. You know what I think about that? I think of that verse that said this, the gates of hell shall not prevail. You know, if we think about where is Satan's throne today, I don't, I don't know if we should speculate fully, but I was listening to a message and you know where they said it is? California and the states around it. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know about that, okay? No, just there's a stigma to California. <laughs> but, um, not to not to harp on that, but the fact is, is that there are tougher places than others to minister. You read some of these missionaries going, and they never saw a convert for seven years. India, okay? Certain places, and in, in where we think of, I think of more of the Middle East, personally, with all the um, the Islamic influence over there. But there was satanic opposition, but yet it says here that they, what? Thou holdest fast my name. Even in the midst of all that satanic opposition, all of that false idolatry, all the temple, all the horrible things, they were holding fast the faith. So that tells me that wherever God places you, and however bad it seems for you, God will give you the grace to be faithful to him. If they're in Satan's home, wherever we're at, we can be faithful to him. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be opposition. Wherever God has put you in your life, in your work, in your community, God can help you to be faithful to him. Not only in light of his watchful eye over you can we hold fast the faith, not only in spite of satanic opposition, but also in remembrance of those faithful witnesses who have went on before us. We see here, it names this man Antipas. And it talks about even in those days when that persecution came so much so that they were being put to death for not um, fulfilling the things that were going on. And my idea here, my thought is that it's probably the worship of Caesar. Antipas would not put that incense on there, would not say Caesar is Lord, and they said, off with his head. Folks, it feels like it's coming down to that in our own country. This whole transgender thing, I'm thankful for Oklahoma and Pennsylvania and some of these different places that are just coming out and blasting this. Um, I mean, the, the horrible things that are going on in, in our Supreme Court and all these things. But, but in, the, in light of all this, it's mention of this man. Do you see here? God remembers this man Antipas. We ought to remember him. We don't even know much about him. But it says that he was a faithful martyr. That idea is really a faithful witness. He was really willing to die for his faith. He was probably the pastor of the church. 
his testimony would have been read here. And, and as we see all these letters put together, I have no doubt, as I talked about a man named Polycarp a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, he was the bishop in Smyrna. Do you remember his testimony? Uh, in, eight, in AD 155, so, so many years after Revelation's already written, he would have read about Antipas. Polycarp, he said the same idea. He refused to worship the emperor. He said, 86 years have I um, served him and he never did me wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Folks, we need to remember those who have gone on before us. We don't know who Antipas is, but he was willing to die for his faith. And in our own mind, we think, well, man, he could have just put that on there and he could have just mumbled something and he would have been fine. And this is more than likely was the bishop or the pastor of the church. What kind of a testimony? You lose your testimony over things like that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But I think of, I think of our own church. I think of those faithful witnesses who have went on before us. Can you think of some of them? I think of Bill Coleman. And if you remember Bill Coleman. He always prayed, Lord, I thank you for my salvation. We had a lot of good prayer meetings over at the Edwards house on Fridays. He would always be going through the pews, looking through, straightening up, getting everything. He would always be at the door. He would say, I'm praying for you. And you knew he was praying because he what? He would ask you how things are going, any updates. I mean, he would he would he knew who the visitors were and he's giving them a welcome packet and he's not just giving it to them. He's he's standing next to him and he's opening it up and he's saying, yes, take this out. This pen's for you. Put your name right here. You know, it's very self-explanatory, but right here, and I'll wait till you're done, and I'll take it from you. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's that's what he did. I mean, he he had a good memory, didn't he? He had a really good memory. Uh, so much so, I'd ask him the scores of the the basketball games because he, he knew them. <laughs> but but he loved the Lord, didn't he? When he passed away, we, we soon realized all the things he did in the office. I mean, the, the mail had probably been piling up for a couple of weeks out there. I don't know, a few days. Um, Donna Walser. Remember Donna? Love the Lord. We um, had her as our church secretary. And uh, though her computer skills weren't always the best, she had a servant's heart. She was willing to stay there, get it done, however late or however early she needed to come in. An extra day, she was just willing to do that. Those are faithful witnesses. I, I think of Esli and Alicia Schick who've passed on before us. And, and we can just keep going down. And you, you have loved ones that you know. I think of my grandma who passed away. And she was, she was really the, in, in our home, she would be the one that prayed. At, at holidays, it wasn't my grandpa. Everybody looked to my grandma to pray for the meals. I mean, that's odd, okay? I mean, it, it should be odd to us, right? It should be the male leadership. But my grandpa wasn't saved. Grandpa didn't get saved till after my grandma passed away. But you think of those that have went on before us. Folks, if we don't hold fast the faith, if we don't keep the truths, study the word, know what truth is, if we don't keep the character that we ought to have as our Lord was faithful to the cross, folks, these people, and this is just an expression, they'd be rolling in their graves to see what happens to this church. Now, they're with the Lord, but do, do you see what I'm saying? Here's Antipas who's given his life as the pastor of the church. He's being faithful to death. 
think if he knew some of the things that were going on, as we're going to see in a second, you think he would be very excited about that? I don't think so. We had to hold fast the faith and remembrance of those who have been faithful witnesses who've went on before us. A hundred years from now, what will you be remembered by? Who will you be remembered by? But also, we need to hold fast to the faith because we need to hold these things in purity of truth and character. Let's read these. this next verse. <clears throat> verse 14, but there's this but, okay? But this but is not a good but, okay? This conjunction. He says, I have a few things against thee. Boy, to hear God say that against thee, and no doubt each one of us, God has a few things against us. Do you understand? That's why it's important to confess our sins, to think about where we're at in our walk with the Lord. It's, it's important to have short sin accounts, to let things uh, linger and harbor, but, but there is these things against the church. He says, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Here's the deal. God had something against them because of a doctrine or a teaching that led to immorality. Okay? Remember Balaam? Balaam was the prophet. Balak tried to hire him. Remember the story of the donkey saying, talking to him and say, I can't go any further. There's an angel there, right? And he's ready to kill his donkey who's saving his life. But remember, God would not cause him to curse Israel. In fact, he blessed Israel. But he did get a word in for Balak and said, hey, if you get the Israelite men to get with the Moabite women and to get into idolatry and fornication and all these things, that will be the demise of Israel. You see, what was creeping into the church there was the idea that it was the idea of compromise. It was the idea of a license to sin. It was okay to kind of mingle, to be part of the world. It's okay to just put the incense on there and say, Caesar is Lord, it's no big deal. Folks, this is what we're faced with in our society today. Oh, it's no big deal. Just keep accepting that. Keep accepting that. I was thinking about the song that was sung, um, Who Am I? I kept hearing that phrase. I know it was meaning the fact that, that who am I that Jesus would do that? Boy, what an amazing love that he had for me, right? But I was thinking, who am I? That's a good question for all of us to answer. Who am I in Christ? Who am I? I'm, I'm a blood-washed child of God. I'm a saint of God. It's not because of me, it's because of Christ. But we're facing this identity issue, this gender identity. These people don't know who they are. Folks, we have an identity in Christ that we can share with them, that they can have this identity but folks, this is what we're facing, this transgender transgender issue. You know, how do we deal with somebody that comes in transgender in our church? I don't know that we've had that too much. I know we've had other perversions um, because ultimately every sin is a perversion to God's truth, right? So we all have came through those doors. I don't know that we've had too many transgender people come, but should we, how should we respond? We should love them. Where would we tell somebody in our new building like that to go to the bathroom? How about a family bathroom? (laughs) It was never meant for that. It was never meant for that. But we want to reach people where they're at. In a book I read recently, not recently, I don't know, a few months ago, I talked about a man that was transgender. But how this, this church just loved on him, 
helped him. He came to know Christ. And he still had to deal through and work through those things, but they helped teach him masculinity. And years later, he got married and just, you know, just God did some great and mighty things. Um, but he did die of AIDS. And so God, God can help us to love these people and to help. But folks, we can't compromise on the truth. We can't just say, well, this is okay. You know, why can't we have a member? There's, you know, we can't have a member of our church that has open sin. You can't do that. Do you understand that? Somebody that openly is against the things of God. It, it will not work. The church doesn't stay pure. That's why it is important to have church discipline. Now, we, we want to use that in the right way and, and when, only when God shows us. But folks, to keep the church pure, there is church discipline where sin is confronted. People are confronted by their sin, a one-on-one, and they're bringing somebody along, and then bring it before others, and, and ultimately the church, before the church. And that's not to bully anybody. That's not to be mean. That's to help them to see their sin and to love them and help and grow in that way, as really each one of us should want to be reproved and rebuked at times. But we need to be humble and teachable, as they had this against them. And then it talks about really the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, this there's some different ideas here about this. One is just the idea of superiority of leadership. Um, really, the beginnings of the Catholic Church and the hierarchy and all those different things. That's one idea. Another idea is just the license to sin. It's now all grace. It's all grace. Don't worry about the law. Don't worry about standards. We see this in churches all the time, don't we? Come as you are. Well, there's some truth to that. But once, you, once you're saved, you've got to grow. We, they, we ought to identify with Christ. We ought to change. There ought to be uh, a holiness that ought to be apparent. I mean, can you think of any, any stronger words in verse 15 when he says, Which thing I hate. The only stronger word I can think of is just abomination. I abhor. This is the idea of I hate these things. That's why it's important to have a, a pure church, a pure in character, pure in behavior, but also pure in truth in the doctrines of the word. You know, it's sad to see some of these denominations, really good denominations, that, that have fallen by the wayside. I mean, there's things I wouldn't agree with them totally, but there's Presbyterians, okay? There's Lutheran, there's... There's Methodists. There's these different denominations, and it's sad, and there's no doubt if people could look back and see these things, they would be rolling in their graves for how the church has, has gone and what it's become because of this compromising. Folks, we've got to hold fast, hold fast to the truth. And our culture is compromising around us and all these things, but we've got to hold fast. What does God's Word say? How do we live our lives? What what is truth? We still show love and compassion, but we've got to hold to the truths of God's word. But I think one of the most sobering things uh, this evening, and I don't want to end with necessarily a negative thing, but it's, it's very sober. We won't end with a negative, but the most sobering thing I think in this passage is this idea of the two-edged sword. Um, it says here in verse 12, in this picture, again, all these, these pictures of who Jesus is, he says, write these things. The, the angel or the head bishop or the pastor, write these things. Saith he, the one who has a sharp sword with two edges. This is looking back at the vision where it talks again in chapter 1 about Jesus, and he has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And I was reading through the book of Judges. It talks about one of the judges there. And, and do you remember this story and how he, he, uh, he was left-handed? 
and how he had that short two-edged sword in his pants there or in his, I think it was on his leg. And uh, so he walks in and they check the other side. But he took that sharp two-edged sword and the time was right and he stuck it right in that fat guy's belly, right? That was the judgment of the Lord. This isn't talking about sword play or this isn't talking about some fun kind of thing. This is This is the idea of judgment or for Christians, the chastening of the Lord. This is very strong. Very, very, very strong. He's saying if you don't repent, if you don't turn, change your thinking about it, and and it ought to cause a change in your behavior, you will be chastened. Your your candlelight, it'll be put out. Folks, there is no church in Pergamos today. We're talking many years later, but there's no church there. Folks, this is this is the idea of judgment or as a Christian, there's no condemnation for a Christian. Yes, in in verse 16, it's used again, It says repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. This is war. Very powerful. In fact, we know even in, the, in chapter 19, the Battle of Armageddon, the pictures again of Christ, who's called the Word of God, has the sword in his mouth, and he battles them off himself, King of kings and Lord of lords. This ought to be very sobering to us. God will chasten believers that compromise the truth and compromise the character of God and in our own lives. God does want us to be holy. He wants us to have a testimony for him. And when we start compromising and compromising and compromising, we have no testimony in this world. Christians ought to be different. They ought to be separated from the world. There ought to be a difference. They can't just intermingle and be like others. Just, no Christian cares if you, or no worldly person cares if you go to church on Sunday if you don't live like a true Christian throughout the week. In fact, they would say, man, why waste your time if you're already just living it up? Why, why just live it up the whole time? Do you understand? But if someone sees the power of God in your life, sees you as an overcomer, sees you patient in times of tribulation, sees you trusting the Lord, sees you calm, sees all these things, and, and you're talking about your God and you're praising him and you're thanking him and you're telling them about how they, they can find forgiveness in the Lord. But folks, if we're speaking out both sides of our mouth, it's not going to have any impact. And just as Pastor said this morning, we ought to fear God's chastening sword. There is a healthy cheer, a healthy fear, a reverence for God, and we got to remember that. We have to teach our children that. I try to teach my children that. I want them to understand that, and that does—that is part of the disciplining and love and correction of our children. They need to learn that from mom and dad. But folks, I think a lot of us need to remember that. Our culture wants to rebel against authority. But folks, we, we ought to submit ourselves to God. Yes. Folks, I'm gonna, I want to add at the very end here. He says, he that hath an ear. Not just talking about the church. He says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of I'm sorry, not the tree of life, but... Sorry, I was looking at the wrong verse. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. 
So if you repent, all right, and if you overcome, we know in 1 John, the overcomers are the children of God. They're they're the overcomers. Truly, once you're saved, you really got it, you will overcome, okay? You may have times of stumbling. You may have times where you're drifting, but we're going to hold fast the faith. But there's some things, some neat things that God will give you. And I think all these things are, again, references to what? Heaven. Being with your Lord. He says here, I'll give you the hidden manna. Do you remember the hidden manna? Manna was what? It was their daily provision while they were out in the wilderness. They got it every day except for Saturday. They got two portions. But they took some of that and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant. That might be the idea here. Now, we don't know where the Ark of the Covenant went to, okay? There were some other items in there too. But I think, you know what the hidden manna is? I think ultimately it's Jesus. I think it's his word. He is the word of God. I think ultimately it's he is the bread of life. He says, I'll give you. You know, folks, who's in heaven? Jesus, the lover of our soul, the one who died for us. There's various interpretations on that, but I think ultimately he's the one that truly satisfies. He's the one that truly gives strength and nourishment and the things that we need. And it talks about this white stone. A white stone often, there's various views on this too, okay? But one of the views that comes up more often than not is the idea that in a, in a court setting, they would have a judges or a jury and they each would have a white stone and a black stone. And at the very end, when there was a verdict, they would pass around a bowl and they'd put a white stone in or a black stone and they didn't know who put which stone in. And so if they were all white stones or I'm not sure if it was a majority, whatever it was, the white stone meant the idea that they were acquitted, that they were declared not guilty. I think ultimately... We have to remember that we are justified through Christ. We, we, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have heaven to look forward to. But not only that, this white stone has what on it? It's got a new name. It's got a new name. I don't know what your new, new name will be. But I do know lots of times in the Bible, the names that they gave fit the character of the people. Yeah. And so wouldn't it be interesting in heaven one day to hear, we, we're no longer calling you Mike. I don't know, that's what it seems like. Maybe, I don't know, they called it Elijah, Elijah. But at this point, you'd be given a new name. But whatever that is, you know, but it has something to do with the character. And I'm not going to give you a name, okay, Mike? (laughs) Mikey. (laughs) The the, uh, organ player. (laughs) How do you know that he has that talent? But anyways, there, there will be this new name. Your old name, okay, which all the things that it represented, some good, some bad, but ultimately you're going to have a new name in Christ. Reminds me of that verse that says, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Folks, we ought to hold fast to the faith. We, we've got we've to hold these things, not in an angry way, not in a self-righteous way, but in a way that we love our Lord. We understand that there's going to be opposition. We understand that there's going to be compromise around us. But we need to have a pure church. We need to understand that God knows all these things. His watchful eye is upon us. We need to understand that God is holy, that we need to fear him and have a reverence for him. We need to understand that one day we will stand before him. And that's, that's when it will be worth it all. This world's not our home. So God, help us to be faithful to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your word this evening. And, um, or there's, there's just a lot in here, a whole lot. And I'm sure other things could be said, but Lord, I pray 
tonight, whatever whatever compromises in our heart, and uh, Lord, whenever we start thinking and justifying, whenever we start um, making judgments about things that are not not according to your word in the mind of Christ, we're in big trouble. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have a healthy view of who you are, that we would be men and women of the word of God, studying the word of God, men and women in prayer, uh, Lord, that we, we just are faithful to you, realizing that you're Lord and we are your bond servants. And it's really about your kingdom and not ours. Lord, help us. Lord, we live in such a materialistic society, a materialistic country. It's so easy to think certain times are our times and really every time is your time. Help us, Lord, to not be self-centered, but to be Christ-centered. Lord, do a work of grace this evening. Lord, you tell us to repent here. Lord, I, I believe each one of us needs to repent of things in our hearts, of certain idols. We may not have temples like they did them, but there, there are temples of idolatry in our own hearts. And so, Lord, help us to cast those things off and to cling to Christ, who is our hidden manna, who is the bread of life. And, uh, Lord, I pray you do work now in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.